We're going to move along in Romans nine, uh, Romans 3 today. We're going to look at verses 13 through 20. It's going to be the second half of our Romans 3 sermon. And I will tell you, uh, just reading ahead, as I hope you do some, it's, it's, it's about to get really good. Uh, I mean, not that it hasn't been good, but it's about to... All these answers to the questions that we have, uh, to our depravity, to our nature, they're about to be answered. Uh, And it's going to be answered through a resounding Christ. And it's going to be good to see it. It's going to be a refresher to sort of go from you're depraved, you're a sinner, there's no chance, to man, there's Christ. And um, and so hold on, you know. If you're getting caught up in how depraved we are, uh, that's good. And as I've said to you a thousand times already, I don't think we can understand the depth of forgiveness unless we understand the depth of depravity. And so we'll continue uh, preaching the Bible through uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and uh, we'll see what God has to say for us. So we continue our our second part of this sermon in Romans 3 that started in verses 9. is going through uh, verse 20. And what we find in this section of Scripture is the conclusion of Paul's first uh, two and a half, two to three chapters uh, or sections of his letter to the church at Rome. It's not only a review, but it's really an extra emphasis on the message that Paul is trying to give. And that message is that man is totally and utterly and completely depraved. Man is completely lacking of goodness. Um, Since you guys, most of you guys have been under my teaching for long enough, you all probably recognize this truth, or at least recognize that I've said this a a couple of hundred thousand times, that man is inept, man is unable, as we found out a long time ago in Ephesians, or every time you read Ephesians, man is inept, but God, but God. So we have seen this thread all throughout Scripture. Man is unable. Man is needy. Man is helpless. And the only answer is God through Christ Jesus. In Paul's summation of the depravity of mankind, he gives us these charges that have been brought against mankind, this summation of the charges that have been brought against mankind as proof of man's depravity. We talked about three last week. The first is this. There is none righteous. There is no one righteous. What this simply meant, if you weren't here last week, just for a brief reminder, what this simply meant is this. There is no one that is to the level of the righteousness of God. There is no one that is to the level of the righteousness of Jesus. And the command of God is this, that you be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And Paul is reemphasizing to his hearers, to his audience, and to every audience that has read the letter to the church at Rome from that time to this time, that there is no one who meets that standard of perfection. There's also no one with spiritual understanding. The Bible says that our eyes and our minds, because of sin, have been darkened, have been blinded, have been closed, and therefore we lack understanding. You can see this. This, this is literally illustrated every day in your life. Anytime you see a spiritual conversation being taking place, or anytime you have a spiritual conversation with someone who is not a believer, you see 
you can, you can hear and know and see things so clearly, and you look at them and you're wondering, how is this not as clear to you as it is to me? And the reason is, is without the Holy Spirit of God, we don't have a natural understanding of the things of God. But with God, with the Spirit of God, the Bible says in uh, John, 1 John 2.27, because of the anointing that is within you, because of the anointing that is within you, the Holy Spirit teaches us. There is no spiritual understanding. There is no one who seeks God. Friends, there is an innate desire in our lives because we are created in the image of God to fill the God-sized hole in our life. But I need to tell you this, and you need to follow me here. Unless a person's search ends in Christ, they are not actually searching for God. They are not actually seeking after God, but they are running away from Him. There is no one who seeks God. The only person that seeks God is the person who has been redeemed by God through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he has the ability at that point to seek after God. Everyone whose faith walk does not end in Jesus is not seeking God, but is running from God. Today we look at a new set of verses, and what I want to do is I want to give you these last charges that are brought against mankind and I want to briefly describe those and and I won't I'm not going to be super specific um, in my application today so you're going to have to sort of be you're going to have to keep your minds tuned in and you're going to have to sort of follow along so that you can know uh, how this applies to your life there will be some specifics but for the most part it's not I want us to look at verse 13 verse 13 of Romans 3 their throat is an open Grave. That's the, that's the next um, charge that's brought against mankind. Their throat is an open grave. Verse 13 through 14 contain three charges brought against mankind. But these verses are also references to three different psalms. Psalm 5.9 says, For there is no truth in their mouth. Their innermost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. That's the second one. That happens to be part of the second one. That that deceitful tongue. Romans, I mean, uh, Psalm 140, verse 3. They make their tongue sharp as a serpent, and under their lips is the venom of asps. Uh, Psalm 10, 7. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. There are many passages that echo, echo the same or similar sentiments, but there is a correlation between what is being said here. In each instance, all of this iniquity is brought about by an organ involved in speech. Their throat, their tongues, their mouths. There is an entirely separate sermon on the action of the organs involved in in speech. There's actually probably a year's worth of sermons on that. But what I can tell you this as we start our message today, and this may sound a little bit backwards to you because, you know, you've always heard, um, walk the walk, don't just talk the talk. And that's true. But I can tell you, your relationships with others will be defined as much by what you say and how you treat them with the organs that bring about speech as by what you do. All of these things we are about to apply, they apply just as much to our relationship with Jesus Christ as they apply with our relationship with others. Friends, 
Those things that come out of your mouth are just as important than the things that are done with your hands and your feet. After all, the Bible says it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of him. What we find in our text today as it compares to previous texts is that not only do our actions hurt ourselves and others, but our mouth, as the Bible says, is either full of blessings or cursing. What we do with our most commonly used body parts, our throat, our mouth, our tongue, says just as much about us, if not more, than what we do with our hands and our feet. Today I think we can really look at these three areas of depravity and attribute them, uh, attribute them to all of mankind, not just ourselves and not just the most depraved of sinners. Martin Luther attributed these uh, that Paul is mentioning specifically to false teachers and people who are uh, like false teachers. This is not, false teacher is not just a preacher or a pastor though. False teachers are people who claim Christ or who claim some sort of spirituality and lead people astray with their words or their actions. So instead of reinventing, reinventing the wheel, I kind of want to go on that thread a little bit today. I think it would be helpful for us to look at verse 13 and 14, at least from some perspective, from the perspective of Luther, that this is talking of false teaching. Luther suggests that these words are not just generic sticks and stones words, but these words are more specific false teachings and heresies. And I would say that these are not just false teachings, but specifically when there is general inconsistency between the words we say and the life that we live. We can, cert we can say with certainty that the most vile people on earth are not the Satanist and the atheist. Because at least we know where they stand. But some of the most vile people on earth are the ones who use the gospel for personal advantage. And lead people astray in the process. Some of the worst defilers of the gospels, the gospel is, is not always the homosexual or the person who's on the street on Sunday, on the street on a Sunday instead of in the pews. So if we want to know what depravity is, we should first look at the wolf who wears the sheep clothing, the sheep's clothing, as I think Paul is doing here. And the person who wears the clothing of a Christian as it is convenient to him. Or as it fits the platitudes. What is the first thing he says about this person? He says this person, from our text today, he says this person's throat is an open grave. The word here symbolizes a perpetually open tomb. With their throat they devour and they swallow as they would eating bread or food. Luther said that this was when false teaching devours the spiritually dead. We know that it's not what goes into a man that condemns him, but what comes out. And if what comes out is death, this often veri verifies the perception of the person's genuine nature. So if what comes out of our mouth is death, it verifies the world perception, world's perception of who we are. A spiritually dead person thinks that Christianity is foolishness anyway. 
And he treats it often as a fairy tale. So when false teachers and inconsistent progressive Christians do their own thing, it just confirms progressive, not in the liberal sense, but Christians who are supposed to be progressing along the way. It just confirms in the mind of the believer or the unbeliever what they already know. You know who is fleeced by the health and wealth gospel? Do you know who is fooled? It isn't the spiritually dead. It isn't the, spirit, the atheist. It is a spiritual person who is fleeced by the word of faith movement and the health and wealth gospel. The atheist looks at that and they say, how can you be so foolish to not recognize your own people and those who are fleecing you? The atheist looks at the prosperity gospel and says, yep, just as I thought about Christianity. And he just jumps right down into the throat of that grave leading to hell. Who do you think is fooled by the person claiming Christ and not living that way? It's the person seeking spiritual connection. The atheist looks at the fake Christian and it confirms his thoughts about what Christianity actually is. Just as I suspected. There is no truth to this. And the false teacher and the professing Christian swallow him up whole. The atheist doesn't need to repent and trust Jesus to get his money stolen. He can go to the casinos. The atheist doesn't need to repent and trust Jesus to have a drinking buddy or have a friend that acts like him. He's got an entire world of people to choose from and he doesn't have all these laws and restrictions to follow in the process. Their throat is an open grave. And the only thing that closes that, friends, is life. Is life. This open grave is shut up by the person that desires nothing more to teach and live Christ and Him crucified. Do you know how to shut, do you know how to shut the gates of hell and make yourself be an instrument of life and not death? Teach Christ. Desire Christ. Live Christ. Christ. And listen, this is the most important because this is the hardest. Be satisfied in nothing but Christ. Want to give people a real shot at repenting and trusting in Jesus? Give them a real reason to live and trust the gospel by the way that you live and trust the gospel. Which will undoubtedly leave a real impression and make a real distinction with what is commonly thought about Christianity from those worldly depraved people and what is often lived out by the Christian world. The words we say matter and fewer times than we think our words fall on deaf ears. Did you understand that? The words we say matter, and fewer times than we actually believe our words fall on deaf ears. People listen. People hear. Will they ignore us because of the life we live, or will they be intrigued? At least intrigued, if not changed by the example that we set because Christ is in us. And that is what we seek. The Bible says we will give account of every idle word. So we have to ask ourselves, is our throat an open grave that swallows up the unbelieving? Or by the grace of God, is that grave closed and life being spouted forth 
from what we are saying. He says this about the depraved man. This is the fourth. Their throat is an open grave. The fifth thing today, it's E. They're, they use their tongues to deceive. Now there's a distinction that must be pointed out between the first and the third charge and this second one. The throat as a grave is much more of a harsh illustration. It is in your face. The mouth, which we will see in a minute, is used to chew and destroy. But the tongue, it's soft. It's a less invasive body part. Paul uses the tongue as an example of a part that is used to deceive. Because deception is often done softly and tenderly and in a tricky manner. So a false teacher... Will, will only teach the things that are easier to hear. He will say things that are true, but because he is not saying the whole truth, he is still deceiving. Remember, listen, even a half-truth about God is a whole lie. Isaiah 30.10 sort of echoes this sentiment of those desiring the false teacher. Isaiah 30.10 says, Speak to us the smooth things. Prophesy to us, not right now. Second Timothy says that there a time will come when men will, listen to, will not listen to sound teaching, but will surround themselves with teachers who suit their own passion. Some of the softest and sweetest words are some of the most deceitful and some of the most damning. What comes out of their mouths are smooth things that tickle the ear. Friends, it's going to be hard to hear a few of these things, But you need to know that they come from the right place and they're biblical. The church today teaches inclusivity when the gospel by its very nature is divisive. Jesus said his own words, they are equally inspired as the rest of the words in the Bible, but these are the words of Jesus. Matthew 10, 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. They teach, they teach the inclusive gospel when Jesus taught a gospel that was very divisive. They teach universal salvation when the scriptures teach limited atonement. They prioritize social causes over the gospel. Unlike Jesus, when he faced the woman at the well, he did not use her social stigma to uplift her victimhood. Jesus used the social stigma of the woman at the well to bring her to repentance and say, you are equally deserving of hell no matter the situation of your life and you must repent just like the person who is not in your same situation. The false teachers use social stigmas to elevate victimhood and not elevate the gospel. The venom of asps is on their lips which means that anyone who comes in contact and is bitten is immediately poisoned by their words and headed for death. If the Lord does not step in with the antivenom, the prognosis of coming in contact with this type person is not life, but is certain death. To sum up, they preach any other gospel than Christ and Him crucified. I want to look at these last five charges rather quickly. And really these last five charges are brought against these people. But they are also really the results of what we see in Romans 3, 9 through 13. 
Letter F, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their curses and bitterness did not just come out of nowhere. The deceit and poisonous speech actually overflows into these things. When deceit and poisonous speech doesn't work, or sometimes when it works exactly like it's supposed to, it overflows into curses and bitterness. Is this not the way of the internet today? It's typically the way of a losing argument. Now listen, I'm not a, I'm not a great parent. I'm a good parent. I'm a great wrestling partner. I'm a great cuddle buddy, and I'm a fun dad. But I'm not a great parent. But there are some things as a good parent that I have that are non-negotiable with my children. And one of these things is because I, I, most of those things revolve around what I struggle with as a child. And one of those things is being able to express yourself without outburst. Being able to express yourself without outburst. Now, my children struggle with this now, um, as I'm sure many of you can attest to in your own family. But this is a non-negotiable for me as, as to what I will allow to happen in my family. So I will hear one of the kids trying to convince the other of his or her way. And then usually the one that is older takes probably a little advantage of the one that's younger. And then the one that's younger that can't articulate his feelings as well, what does he do? He or she maybe, uh, screams and yells and, and brings forth their vengeance and their anger and their bitterness because their way was not met. So we talk and we work it out and we figure out a way to talk through those things because what we find, friends, is the person who responds in anger is usually the person who has already lost the argument. Now, I never understood. People used to say it to me all the time. I never understood what that meant. I thought they were saying you lost because you responded in anger. That's not what they're saying. When people say that, what they're saying is you lost, therefore you responded in anger. But when you have a solid argument, when you have a solid stance, you don't have to respond in bitterness and cursing. This is why this is not, this is why bitterness, this is why anger, this is why fighting is not the way of the Christian. Because the way of the Christian can use logic and reasoning and objective truth to prove their point. Whereas the person who is lost already only can use bitterness and anger and frustration. Usually the frustrated one doesn't have a legitimate argument, so, so they lose. Friends, the way of the depraved man is a losing battle. They cannot win. They cannot win it by waiting God out, waiting for God to die, waiting for Christianity to die off, because God is timeless. They cannot win by saying that Christianity is on the wrong side of history, because God created time, and He set the things in order that have happened, and His standard is the one that we all follow. They cannot win with uh, logic because God is all-knowing and He cannot be out-logicked. They cannot win with science, the science of man, because there is nothing more objective than the nature of God. So the result is that deceitful and poisonous speech overflows into cursing and bitterness because the depraved man is always fighting a losing battle. This is personified by a society that can never forgive this is personified by a society that attempts to cancel and destroy rather than, rather than redeem and lift up. These are the individuals who, pro, who are primary, 
primarily negative and just call it being real. They bring up the past as if they don't have a past that, can, that will one day be equally judged by God. They are constantly displeased with the actions of others while constantly justifying their own. When they do not seek God, when they don't have spiritual understanding, when their throat is an open grave of deceit and poison, they turn to bitterness and cursing. And when that isn't enough, they turn to the next one. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their feet are swift to shed blood. They are quick to wish the death of their opponent. Look through conversations online today and it doesn't take much to see that this is a prevalent theme and a prevalent idea. One of the most vile and hateful things a person can do, which is really the culmination of being an unrepentant, un, uh, um, a, a, a sinner who is uh, un sorrowful about the things, who is not sorrowful about the things they have done and they are doing, the most vile thing this person can do is wish death or bring death on someone. They are swift to do this because in their depraved mind they see image bearers of God as obstacles and not opportunities. It would be better that my problem were dead instead of fixed. Often problems are so bad that the depraved mind can only think of one solution, and that is not forgiveness, that is not restoration, but that is elimination. Whether it is the death of someone else or themselves, they see death as the only answer. Friends, you need to know this. Satan is the father of death, and Christ is the father of life. And if these thoughts are going through your mind, or if you see these thoughts going through others who are professing Christians, this does not come from Christ, but this comes from the enemy. The thoughts that come from Christ are eternal hope. The thoughts that come from Christ are patient endurance. The thoughts that come from Christ are life. Amen. In the case of the false teacher, he brings spiritual death because he withholds life by preaching a different doctrine that cannot and will not save. In the case of a regular human being, we bring death by withholding from those around us the same graces that we are given by God. They are shift to shed innocent blood. But also their paths are full of ruin and misery. There is a natural progression this person starts off as a depraved sinner and he ends up as a misery bringer. In their paths are ruin and misery. Not only is the person miserable, but they also make those around them miserable. They carry their attitude on their sleeve and they hold contempt to anyone who does not immediately relate or anyone who is actually happy, anyone who has peace. They refuse to forgive or show kindness, therefore cutting off the blood, su the blood supply of life. Without a changed nature, this person will seek to destroy all they can and will try to pull into misery those who cannot be destroyed. They are literally pig pen from Charlie brown their misery and their ruin is worn on their clothes it's worn on their blankets and it's in a cloud of dust behind them and anything that touches along their way friends it's not okay for us as a church to just look at sin and just ignore it because this is the path of sin it starts off with a turning from god it starts off with a turning from God, and then it, it, it's, a, it's a darkened understanding. And then it's a lack of seeking God. 
But the result is there is death, an open grave. There is destruction. There is bitterness. And it is brought to everyone around them. Friends, you need to hear this. And this is as true as I'm standing here today. You can choose every day to be life to people and and just... Uh, exuberate. Is that the word that I'm looking for? Exuberate that life. If that's not it, just ignore it because I'm from the South. Um, exuberate that life to, to everybody. You can choose to let that come forth from you to, for, to, listen, where people around you will literally feel that life. Or like the depraved man, you can choose to be pig pen and you can choose to bring your destruction and your bitterness and your grief and your ruin and your misery to everyone that comes along your path. Because you will choose one of the two every day. So what is said about you, friends? What is said about you when someone examines your life? Are you some listen, I had a best friend growing up, and we're and we're close, but we're not close, close anymore. It was it was a it seemed like a job to just be around him. It seemed like a job to be around him. Everything he did, he made it hard on people. He made you work for everything. To a point where when more people started entering my life and people were lifting me up and people were, were encouraging me and I was doing the same to them, guess what? I didn't naturally want to go to that person who was hard to work with. I wanted to go to the person who uplifted me and made my life better. Because those type of people, they bring you down. They drag you to their mess. If, if they're not going to be happy, then no one is going to be happy. Friends, I want to tell you, for practical reasons, you need to choose to be, through the grace of God, through the Holy Spirit, you need to choose to be people that other people like being around. You want to look around and see while no one's around you, while no one's, while no one's being a part of your life, while no one's just jumping off cliffs to help you? We may need to look at our attitude first. I'm not saying that's always the case. Sometimes you just surround yourself with jerks. But we, name, we may need to look at our attitude first and see if we're the type of people that people want to be around. The depraved life leads to a path of destruction, a path of ruin and misery. They know they do not know peace. They do not know peace. That's next. And their way and the way of peace they have not known. Isaiah 57 speaks of this. They know no peace. They are like the tossing of the sea that cannot rest. In their path of destruction, they cannot allow others to have peace. They cannot allow if they cannot have it for themselves. So they plant seeds of doubt and bitterness in peaceful situations. Have you ever known people like that? There's a little bit of peace in a time, a little bit of peace in your family. Maybe you have family members like that. There's a little bit of peace in your family. And so they plant little seeds of doubt. They plant little seeds of bitterness. They plant little seeds of trouble, little controversies to destroy and try to, try to, try to break the peace that is going on. They weigh people down with guilt that is unjustified like the guilt of your ancestors or guilt of forgiven sin or the guilt of having a certain skin color. Or they hold people to their past grievances instead of forgiving and supporting the redemptive process in that person. 
We have seen this before, but I was, I was reminded this by reading Philip Ryken's commentary. These people lack peace in three areas. And maybe you see yourself in one of these or all three of these. They lack peace with God. Therefore, they lack peace with others. And ultimately, the reason this continues to perpetuate is they lack peace in their own life. The truth of the matter, friends, is for you personally, where you go, there you are. Do you understand that? Wherever you go, there you are. If you lack peace in relationships, if you lack peace in uh, friendships, if you lack peace in your family, I would say the very first person and the very middle person and the very last person that I would look at is myself. And then ask yourself, if I were in a different situation, in a different time, with different people, what would change about me? What would change about me? Would I be happier? Would things be better off? The truth is, where you go, where you are. There, wherever you go, there you are. The peace of God is not in them. At the end of the path of destruction, we find often that we were the one that was wielding the sledgehammer while blaming others. There's one more. There is no fear of God in them. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Why are, all the fir- why are all of the first charges true? Because they do not fear God. People fear the rising oceans, but they do not fear the God who holds them back. People fear the extinction of animals and climate change, but they do not fear the God who created and sustains the world. People fear the wind and the rain, but they do not fear the God who said to the wind and the rain, Peace, be still. They fear man, but they do not fear the God who created man. They fear the consequences of sin, but they do not fear the God who reviles and punishes sin. I've got two thoughts that may or may not resonate with you, but I hope they will help you today. Two thoughts that may help you to determine whether you have a healthy fear of the Lord. And the first is this. Now follow this because I wrote it weirdly, but I'm sticking to it. When was the last time you irrationally did not fear something that would be rational to fear simply because you trusted in the Lord? When was the last time you put away fear of something that you would be completely justified to fear but you didn't fear it because you trusted in the Lord. How often does that happen in your life? I know for me, uh, along the way, it was, it was death. Like as a child and as an early teenager, I feared death so much. And I've had moments in my adult life, you know, we, when I was a youth pastor, we lost four members of eight that were in a car traveling back from Florida. They died, and after that point, like, I feared being in cars for a little while. I feared going on vacation. I feared other people, and still do, other people driving. Um, if I ride in your car, I need to bring my own steering wheel just to hold on to it. But when was the last time that you were justified in fearing something, but you chose not to because you trusted in Jesus? This is a more important one. When was the last time you abandoned sin because you feared God? Yeah, you abandon sin. You, you run away from sin because um, somebody might see, somebody might know, because the Bible tells me so. 
What are some other reasons you abandon and run away from sin? Think about it. When was the last time you said in your mind, there is a great and powerful and one day judging God that I will stand before? And I'm going to commit to abolishing this sin in my life because I know that truth. Friends, I would say this, that the fear of God should lead us to live righteously more than any other motivation in the world. We should do right by ourselves and by other people because God expects it and commands it. And friends, hear me, we'll one day judge it. No matter your profession, no matter your profession of faith, no matter the words that you prayed, if our life does not consistently model someone who fears this great God, we will be judged for it. And we may find ourselves on the wrong side of the judgment. When was the last time you put inappropriate material or a questionable TV show down out of reverence to God? Not because you had to, not because someone else told you to, but because you revered God and He was holy. When was the last time you put down anger and hate? When was the last time you put down selfish motives and practices? Because of the fear of the Lord. One commentator said, The pagan of Paul's day feared the vast pantheon of Babylonian, Greek, Roman, and an assortment of gods. The pagan in the distant jungle fears the rivers, rocks, and trees. He fears the sky, the thunder, the spirits of the night. The civilized pagan, that is a contemporary man or woman, fears the future. Hostile neighbors, disease, technological breakdown, and a host of other dangers. And everyone fears death on some level. What irony to fear these things that will one day pass away and yet not fear the God to whom one day all of us will give an account. Isaiah 51 says, You fear mortal men who are grass, but you forget the Lord your maker who stretched out the heaven and laid the foundations of the earth. Friends, you need to know this. We need to fear the Lord. We need to fear and trust in Him because misplaced fear causes us to fight the thing that is trying to save us. Misplaced fear causes us to fight the thing that is trying to save us. It's like the lifeguard. You know the greatest threat to a lifeguard in an emergency situation? The person he's trying to save. The greatest threat to a lifeguard in an emergency situation is the person he's trying to save because misplaced fear causes us to fight that which is trying to save us. We need to give our fear over to the Lord. And that first comes through trusting Him in salvation, but also by allowing us to, ourselves to be hurt, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, allowing ourselves to be used by God. Look at verse 19 through 20 and we'll be done. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Here's what Paul's saying, and I'll close with this. He's saying every man is depraved. The law points out our depravity and not saves us from it. The law accuses, but Christ heals. Where is the hope? The hope is not being an accuser. The hope is not being accused. 
The hope is in Jesus Christ our Lord, who heals both the accuser and the accused, who gives hope to the sinner and to the saint. Will you trust him today? Will you believe in him today? Will you believe that he is as real as we are standing here? Will you believe the realities of Christ as we see through the gospel? Will it affect you? Will it change you? Will it make you into a new and different person? Pray with me today. God, you're good and you're holy. And if that's all we knew about you, God, that would be enough to follow you. That you are good yourself and you expect us to be good. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us hanging and you brought Jesus to save us from the penalty from our sins and from the death of our sins. God, I pray that you would help us to trust you every day, to live for you every day, to become more like you every day. That we would put away fear, we would put away destruction, we would put away deceit, we would put away death, just as you did through the cross and through your resurrection. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.